The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to John. Glory to you. Jesus came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired out by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. His disciples had gone to the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it? Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go call your husband and come back. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You are right in saying I have no husband. For you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. And Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming. When you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem, you worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us. And Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman, but no one, at, no one said, what do you want? Or why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. She said to the people, Come and see a man who has told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he? They left the city and were on their way to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something. He said to them, I have food to eat that you do not know about. So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat. Jesus said to them, My food is to do the will of him who sent me and to complete his work. 
Do you not say, four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I had ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. The Gospel of the Lord. O Lord, may your word only be spoken, and may your word only be heard. In the name of Jesus Christ, the living word. Amen. We'll give Tony a moment uh, just to catch his breath there. The lectionary elves, <laughs> the lectionary elves in the next few weeks really unleash on us the incredible richness of the stories that John presents to us in the life of Jesus. And this, this story this morning is one of those amazing stories. It's hard to imagine a more stark contrast between Jesus' conversations partners this week and last. You recall that we met Nicodemus last week. And it's hard to imagine a more vivid picture of the way Jesus engages the people in his world than in today's encounter with the woman at the well. And it's hard to imagine a model of dialogue that more directly challenges or differs from our usual mode of being as Christians in the world. First, the contrast between Nicodemus and the woman at the well. Nicodemus was a highly educated Jewish man, member of the Sanhedrin, with great status in the Jewish community. And he comes to Jesus fearful of what people might think of him if they saw him with Jesus. So he comes under the cover of darkness and meets with Jesus kind of smug, a little bit, oh, very much insecure. And as a result, his, the fruit that this conversation bears is pretty meager, both in his own life and certainly in the life of his community. Well, this week's encounter that Jesus has couldn't be more different. It's between him and an uneducated Samaritan peasant woman. Unlike Nicodemus, she's not even given a name, which actually, which actually bothers me. Do you mind if I name her? <laughs> Rachel. Seriously. And this encounter takes place in broad daylight, in the broiling heat of the noonday sun. She comes to fill her water pail, minding her own business, and finds a tired and thirsty Jesus already there in need of help. And as a result of their spirited dialogue, Jesus undertakes an unplanned two-day preaching mission in Samaria. And not only is the life 
of Rachel changed forever, so is the life of her community. It's quite a contrast between these two encounters. And it's hard to imagine a more vivid picture of the way Jesus operates in the world. The catalog of deep social and religious rules that he breaks is pretty extensive. He was a man speaking in public with a woman who was alone, who was neither his wife nor any relationship to him at all, although we should note that a man in Jewish law wasn't even allowed to speak to his own wife in public. Jesus' greatest transgression, though, was speaking in intimate dialogue with a Samaritan, and a Samaritan woman at that who, according to Jewish law, was perpetually unclean. It wasn't just that you touched her and then it was over. It's as long as she was alive, she was unclean and unfit to be touched. Now, it's probably worth spending a moment on why this would have been so between the Jewish people and the Samaritan people. Their animosity dated to a time centuries before Jesus, actually beginning as more or less uh, with a common religious heritage until the Babylonian invasion in the 6th century in which the Babylonians took the educated, powerful uh, leaders of the Jewish people back to Babylon and left the Samaritans, not in charge, but left them there. And when the Jewish leaders come back after the exile, they find the Samaritans kind of running the show under the protection of the Persians. And from that point on, things begin to go really bad. The Samaritans claimed the legitimate continuation of Israelite religion and worship and political and religious tensions began to get intertwined and there were mutual desecrations of holy sites, collaborations with and exploitations by the various empires that came through, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans. Um, They maintained separate and competing holy sites, the Jews in Jerusalem, the Samaritans in Mount Gerizim. They held their scriptures in disdain. The Jewish people thought that Samaritan scripture was incomplete. It only went through the first five books of the Bible. And the Jewish people held that the fullness of what we now call the Hebrew Bible was, in fact, sacred scripture. There were loads of religiously and politically motivated murders on both sides. In Jesus' time, both camps were abused by the Romans. And really, the Samaritans in Jesus' time were to be treated as Gentiles. Do not... Go near them. So, when we think of Jesus and the woman at the well in dialogue, we might imagine something like this. Kind of put it in context. context. Imagine a white man engaging in conversation with a black woman in the Jim Crow South. Alone, but able to be seen in public. Think of what that would have stirred up. Or maybe of Protestants and Catholics in Northern Ireland until recently things seem to be thawing there thanks be to God or perhaps more currently and tragically a passing resemblance to the complex and brutal animosity that exists today between the state of Israel and the Palestinian people in any case imagine that kind of deep lingering ancient hatred that Jesus reaches across And she reaches across as well. It's worth noting and dwelling on this, the feistiness 
and the courageousness and the teachability and the trust that the Samaritan woman, Rachel, had. She sustains the longest conversation that anybody has with Jesus in any of the Gospels. The longest, except for the conversation that Jesus has with God. In chapter 17 of the Gospel of John, where Jesus is praying with all of his heart and soul that God protect and empower and strengthen the people that he's leaving behind to carry out his mission. She knows the strength of her heritage, going back to the patriarchs. She goes toe-to-toe with the male representative of the oppressor. And she does so in a respectful manner. Not kowtowing, but respectful. She addresses him as sir throughout their conversation. She often misses the deeper meaning of what Jesus is saying, but she joins good company, doesn't she, throughout the centuries. Most of us miss it, don't we? But once she gets it, once she gets it, there is no stopping her. Her testimony leaves her to bring Jesus back where he has this preaching mission. And not only she is changed, but her whole village is changed forever. Together, their dialogue challenges the way that we usually operate in the world. In fact, it's hard to imagine a dialogue that more directly challenges our usual mode of being as Christians in the world. You know, we're always in a hurry, right? We're always in a hurry. We're impatient with interruptions. And we make snap judgments. We think we can go it alone without help or encouragement. We resist mightily things that may be unpleasant, but that are true about ourselves and about the world around us. We avoid controversy, unpleasantness, discomfort. We doubt that we have much to learn from people who don't share our social or educational or economic assumptions or status or who may hold vastly different political or religious convictions. But these two are different. Notice how Jesus first acknowledges his need. He acknowledges that he's thirsty. And he's not going to get a drink unless he has a bucket. It's at that elemental level that he acknowledges his need. And then notice how rather than silence an inferior, which he could have done, he draws her out. He draws her out. And notice how Rachel remains in dialogue with him even after, even after he names what must have been her most painful, painful truth. Her history of heartbreaking, ruptured relationships, especially in the context of a tiny town. Imagine five husbands. Five But before we jump to the conclusion that interpreters have done for centuries, let's examine the assumption that she is a woman of questionable virtue. There's nothing in the text that suggests that. In fact, her heartache could easily have been a combination of untimely deaths as well as divorces. And let's remember that divorce in this time could never be initiated by a woman. She would have been dumped dumped. 
And who can blame her in a society where a woman had no worth aside from a man, where she might have found companionship with a man and yet not married him? Who would have blamed her for shying away from that, given her history? I imagine Jesus named this in the most gentle possible way and loves her. And she gets that. I think they both knew that she had something to teach him. And I think we see that they had something to teach each other. And of course, here we are, listening 2,000 years later. They had something to learn from one another. You may remember I spoke a few weeks ago about Father Gregory Boyle hearing him speak at uh, a Martin Luther King Day event. He, uh, Father Boyle, is the founder of Homeboy Industries in Los Angeles, which is the largest anti-gang agency in the country. And he told another story which shows this mutual learning, this openness to the spirit of God that transcends, that crosses over these deep chasms. So he describes that he was in his office, harried as usual, trying to catch up, stacks of paper. Um, he had about 20 minutes before his one o'clock baptism. It was a Saturday. He had baptisms at one, usually a wedding at two, a mass at the prison at three, exorcisms at four. He said that to make sure we were still awake, actually. <laughs> anyway, he's, he's got all this on his mind and all this ahead of him. And into his office stumbles a young woman. A well-known young woman in the neighborhood, though she had never been in his office, well-known in the neighborhood, a prostitute, drug abuser, a gang member. She'd done time in prison. She was known in Spanish as the shouter because she was often heard shouting into payphones, begging someone to give her a place to stay for that night. But she'd never been in his office before. And there she was, pouring out her life story to him. And as he describes it, he says, well, now I had seven minutes until the baptism. And then she leveled her gaze at him and said, I am a disgrace. And then he said, her shame reached across my desk and it touched my shame. My shame that I had thought she was merely an interruption. Father Greg says that the root of most of what is wrong in the world today is the widely shared assumption that some lives matter less than others. Jesus and Rachel got past this. They set it aside. They remained in dialogue, a dialogue initiated by God, to be sure, but a dialogue pursued by her as well. And across that dialogue that bridged hard and lonely places, the persistent, relentless, dogged love of God bridged it and it bore fruit then and now.
Thanks be to God.